Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. Everyone is funny. And many people haven't conditioned it. But I know that most people know that there's been at least one moment in their life where they were ranting about something and they said something headliner level funny. I know that my dad saw that as a normal life. And so when I started doing stand-up, I actually bonded with my, my dad, especially in stand-up. When I was a kid, while other kids were watching cartoons and stuff like that, my favorite show in second grade was A&E's An Evening at the Improv. The huge shift in my life came when I realized that the lie is not when something happens, I'll be happy. It's when I'm happy, things will happen. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show is Kyle Cease. This is a great interview. Kyle was a comedian who was at the peak of his career. He loved doing what he was doing until he didn't. This is the key of this episode. He loved it until he didn't. All he wanted was to become one of the best and win these, you know, comedy competitions that he was in and then to get booked at the best clubs around the world. And he did. But something was missing at some point at the peak of his career. And so he went on a journey of self-exploration and he decided that he wanted to do something completely different. Now we're all in a place in our life where there's something that we really want. And then we get it, you know, it's the be careful what you wish for thing, right? So this episode, we talk about what it's like to really, really want something, get it, and then to realize that something else is moving through you. Something else is coming through you that needs to be born or reborn, as it were. You will love this episode. Kyle's an amazing guy. Spoiler alert, I've bought everything that he sells and I love everything that he does. So you will too. So let's just get right into this episode. Please enjoy this wide ranging conversation with Kyle Cease. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's so good to be here. I was checking your stuff out last night and you have a great show. Oh, thanks, man. I was doing some research on you and there's there's lots of different roads with a guy like you that we can go down. And I think that the one I want to start with is I want to take you back to uh, to the 80s in Washington. You come from a family of entertainers. What did your mom, dad, brothers and sisters, what type of entertainment were they in? Well, it was actually more the extended family. I had a grandma who was on the Carol Burnett show. She was a famous puppeteer. No! Yeah. And she... How cool is that? She, like, did puppet shows for different celebrities. So, like, she... And she actually made puppets for them, too. So she had, like, one for Bob Hope and one for, like, I don't remember, Carol Channing and Phyllis Diller and all these different people. And then my uncle, it's actually my dad's uncle, which is her brother, was the prop man for Gallagher. Uh, the famous 80s comedian that smashed watermelons, which was like the carrot top kind of of the 80s. And then on my 
mom's side, she has a brother that's an amazing jazz musician who was in a group that was nominated for a Grammy. And then my mom's mom was also a, a big political activist and but definitely kind of created these groups that were envisioning a, a peaceful world. And it's funny, my grandma, my dad's side, who was on the Carol Burnett show, ended up just completely shifting out of the entertainment industry and meditating and uh, almost all the time meditating and like speaking about what her meditations are. And it didn't occur to me till like last year that I had the same thing because I was an entertainer and a stand-up comic. And now literally I've gone through so many shifts and kind of left a lot of the, the industry for, for, for my highest truth and, and it's unfolding. So it's weird because I didn't even realize how many people in my family I accidentally took after. And uh, now I'm in this very different journey. <laughs> We're going to get into that journey. I want to I stay on that uh, thread for another minute. Would you say that your ability to do comedy came from more nurture or more nature? I think it's a combination of both. I think that, you know, I have a theory that I think pisses off a lot of people, but my theory is that everyone is funny and many people haven't conditioned it. But I know that most people know that there's been at least one moment in their life where they were ranting about something and they said something headliner level funny right? Like yep. you're just yep. complaining about an ex or something political at dinner with your friends and you don't know what happened, but something happened where you, where you said it and people were dying laughing, right? So I believe if that happened once, that means that's available. And I was really lucky because I was born into a family where it was normal. You know, if, you're, if your uncle's working for Gallagher and your grandma's on the Carol Burnett show, it's not that I saw them a lot, but I know that my dad saw that as a normal life. And so when I started doing stand-up, I actually bonded with my, my dad, especially in stand-up. When I was a kid, while other kids were watching cartoons and stuff like that, I was watching my favorite show in second grade was A&E's An Evening at the Improv <laughs> and, you know, watching stand-up comics doing doing five-minute, ten-minute sets on Comedy Central, which was a different network even before it became Comedy Central. And that was all I was into. Because it was supported and because it was laughed at and because I didn't have parents that were saying you need to be a lawyer or you need to be a doctor or you're, you know, you, you need to stop doing that. And I had these very fun parents. I was luckily put into a world where my gift was supported. So, and I also feel my dad created many businesses and he was a great dad in some ways, but he also spaced out a lot and I didn't feel complete connection to him. But when comedy was there, I did. And so I felt like I kind of looked at this later, but I wonder if I got love and approval from my dad by being a comic and didn't realize this until way later. But, you know, it's a way to avoid feeling ignored. It's a way to avoid, right? And so I kept doing it and he would bond and laugh and show other people the stuff. And so I, I kind of wonder if, yeah... I mean, I don't know if I would have ever known about this comedy if I was in a family where they said, you have to do this and you're not funny and, you know, sit at the table at dinner and be quiet. Yeah. And in, in some ways, it was almost like you were unconsciously guided to do this out of some sort of reinforcement that you were getting through the connection with him. It's, it's interesting to the point where at 18 years old, you're headlining comedy clubs, colleges, doing corporate gigs. And, and I have to believe that, you know, you're barely old enough to be in the building that you're performing in, Yes, you know, in, in what, in what ways do you think that that shaped your early twenties? Well, my, my weird thing was I, I learned how to be a comedian before I learned how to be a person. I mean, I started being, uh, performing on stage at clubs at as early at 12 as, uh, and, at 15, I was kind of an opener slash middle act. And at 18, I was headlining. And many of the clubs, I had to go in through the back door and, you know, you couldn't just stay around and you couldn't go into this part of the room. And you could, if you're on stage, it's fine. And, and then there were clubs that you could perform uh, underage in. But it was a, a trippy thing because I was really learning the stage as normal, 
right? I was not developing my own kind of nervousness about stand-up or overcoming anything. It, in fact, it was just normal to go on stage at a young age. So I think that that was the later thing I realized and had to change was that this is my identity, right? In other words, this is what I have to get love. This is what I have to get approval. This is what I have to make money. This is what I have to get dates, right? I get love for this. And it can be really fun when you create an identity and we do it with everything. We do it with that. I am my cars. I am my money. I am my followers. I am my body. I am this relationship. But Wayne Dyer once said, if you think that's what you are, then if that goes away, you go away. And sometimes the things that we think we are, our relationship, our story, our past, can feel like it's put in jeopardy. That's what happened to me. At one point, while on tour, I just started coming up with sabotaging thoughts and came up with this bizarre fear that I would make myself faint when I was on stage. And I was on stage one night and I was just bored thinking because I could do my act in my sleep. And my mind just started thinking, I wonder if you could think about it enough if you could make yourself faint. And right when I thought that, I got dizzy. And then I had this whole set of thoughts where I was like, oh my God, I'm going to not be able to not stop thinking about it. And then it will ruin my career. And if I think I am my career, then that means it will ruin me. Right? So this became a full-blown anxiety that got so bad that it came into every part of my life. At one point, I couldn't walk for a while. At the height of this anxiety, I got a call that I got a Comedy Central appearance. And I just thought, what if I faint on that? And then for three months, worried that I would... It was such a bizarre, specific thing, but I was just worried that I would make myself faint. And the only reason this had power over me is my belief is who I am is my comedy career, right? Versus I'm this moment. And so I ended up worrying about it more and more and more. And this is the first time I became potentially suicidal because I was just so scared that this would happen. And uh, this was the first moment of my life that I got a Tony Robbins book, which was the beginning of my first shift into the achiever world which then later moved into my uh, shift into the flow world, which I'll explain later, which moved, which later moved into my <laughs> shift into the oneness world. But the Tony Robbins world was the beginning. So I started learning how to change my thoughts to what I want. And so I pictured that I had the number one Comedy Central special. And I started picturing it every day and dancing around the house and picturing as if it already happened. I had the number one special. And then I did. And so then my Comedy Central career got bigger and bigger and bigger. And All right, let's uh, let, let's um, I want to take a beat on that spot because there's a there's a lot to unpack there yeah. because it, there's there's sort of this interesting, interesting trajectory that you've gone through with with Tony Robbins and, and a bunch of other things, too. But for the people that are in this place in their life right now and they're trying to figure some things out, you know, I was when I was doing some research on your story, I saw that there was a there was a moment where you packed up your car and you decided that you're going to move to LA and you're going to you know make it in comedy what was going through your head at that time when you were in the car and you were driving to LA to to start this career was it was it this vision of going on stages and ultimately getting a television show like most comics did back at that time like that was the you know that was the that that was the trajectory or or were you not thinking that way and it was just fun i'm trying to like sure. piece that part of your story together you know together. sometimes why it can be hard to talk about it is i've i feel like i've had so many lifetimes since then and I bet. heard so many of those stories but i definitely want to make sure i can walk you through those thoughts i booked the movie 10 things i hate about you which was a huge teen movie that starred heath ledger and i booked that movie uh, by taking a casting director's class. And here was something really interesting. You know, I took a casting director's class, meaning like I didn't have a headshot or any resume or an agent or anything like that. And I was honestly just me in the class. I was this very uh, weird, cheesy, corny character that I had created on stage and stand up. So I'm auditioning for the movie 10 Things I Hate About You in Seattle. As I said, I had no headshot resume or anything like that. And 
what was great was I didn't know that that's a problem. Meaning like I just went in and was so me. I didn't think of competition. I didn't think of what are the odds. I didn't think of what I need to be to even book the part. And I went into the audition just being a character that I created, just being me. And um, not only did I get the part, but they moved it from being a two-day shoot for me to a six-week shoot. In other words, my meanness that I brought into the audition made the part grow and made it a bigger role, made it a principal role in the movie that suddenly my character that's throwing the party, it's my character that's, you know, it takes place in my character's house. Um, when I was going to be this one note kind of guy. So this was a weird moment because I, I just was me and I was oblivious to the idea that I'm supposed to be a certain other thing that every acting coach and everyone tells you you need to be. And I just, and I, and I booked it like first audition of my life is suddenly a, a good sized role in a huge movie. So I moved to LA because I wanted to capitalize on it. And the Laugh Factory uh, Comedy Club told me that they wanted to, to manage me. I bumped into a friend that I shot 10 Things I Hate About You with. And he introduces me to another friend of his. And that guy was shooting a movie called Not Another Teen Movie. And I said, oh my God, can you get me an audition for this? Next thing I know, without an agent again... I'm at an audition for the slow clapper and not another teen movie, which is actually a recurring funny role of a character that's always trying to get people to clap by slowly clapping, but it's always the wrong time. So I keep showing up in a scene where someone's crying or the football team just lost. And I'm trying to get everyone to clap. So I go to this audition and they're shooting it. And he goes, okay, show me you doing the slow clapper. And I do one clap and he goes, hold on a second. And he turns around and he shoots the movie and for 40 minutes forgets that I'm behind him waiting to hear what he thinks. And so finally he turns around and sees me and goes, oh yeah. And he looks at the writer and goes, what do you think? And the writer goes, I love him. And he goes, all right, you're the slow clapper and not another teen movie. And I was like, I did one, I, I did one clap and that was, I'm glad I didn't miss, right? And so, so I booked two movies now with no agent, no headshot. You know, there's just this bizarre thing where life was happening effortlessly for me. I really believe life is supposed to move really effortlessly. I believe that when we understand we're just this moment um, and we understand that there's all this chaos that we believe we have to overcome, that if we just see it as passing clouds and just keep being with the present moment, uh, a lot more stuff can come to us. And this is weird because after that, I moved to LA. After I got in LA and got the second role, I started taking acting classes. And the amount of amazing acting teachers, but also told me, no, you have to do it this way. You have to do it this way. You have to... It honed me into a box where I suddenly felt like I better be what they want versus be myself. And imagine if you did that Jim Carrey, right? Like he's going to go into an audition and talk out of his butt and put his leg behind his head. And they're going to be like, no, you need to be like the other 500 people that are going for this part. You suddenly took out what was amazing about him. God, this is so good. This is, this is so good. You know, um, this is great. Um, so many, so many places to go here. You were with Comedy Central. Comedy Central really wound up at that time making you uh, famous. Um, you wound up being uh, ranked number one uh, on uh, Comedy Central's uh, stand-up showdown. And you were getting what you wanted. But there was still something that was missing in your life. What you're describing now with you wanting to just be you and not be boxed in and feeling like there was still something missing. How did you, what did you like walk me through that time? Yeah, I get, I get so excited for this shift because part of my old story is based on the old paradigm that I used to think in that is a total lie to me now. And here's the lie. The lie that I think most people live with in this world right now is when something happens, I'll be happy. And because of that, we ignore this moment and live in this idea of the future that actually doesn't exist and fantasize about something bigger coming. And then when it shows up, if it's the source of your happiness, then you better not lose it 
and it's the source of your happiness. So you also go, what's next? And 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 if you, if it's finally when I get this person, they're the source of my happiness, then what happens if they leave, right? So as an aspiring comedian who was touring, I got to experience almost everything I ever wanted. I got to, I did over a thousand colleges. I headlined every major comedy club in America. I traveled every day. I got to date amazing people. I made a ton of money. And still, every time I got it, I would just go, what's next? What's next? What's next? And always be in this world of what's next. And I noticed everyone that was getting everything they wanted around me, other comedians and child stars and stuff, were all also like that. No one was happy and they were getting everything that they wanted. The huge shift in my life came when I realized that the lie is not when something happens, I'll be happy. It's when I'm happy, things will happen. And by happy, I don't just mean Ned Flanders smile. I mean that you're okay with yourself as is. You're okay with your offness. You're okay with your sadness. You're okay with your anger. These emotions that we're scared to feel, shame, doubt, uh, lack, right, are what are driving us to constantly be in this crazy, ambitious future. And I'm going to get this and then I'll be happy. I'll get this. And the reason I need to be happy is because I'm so scared to feel these other feelings. And so I went through the shift because as I became this positive force in the comedy scene after going through some Tony Robbins stages, comics started attacking me. And uh, I forgot that comics are cynical. (laughs) That's why they're comics, right? And so here I am with this major positive message in the comedy scene. And comics started, yo, you must be a cult leader. Are you a Scientologist? All these different things. And I went through this crazy phase of having to let go of control of what people thought. And one day a comic wrote a blog attacking me. And then Uh, saying that I must be, you know, because at the time I created kind of a class that was kind of putting me in this position of like a Tony Robbins for aspiring comedians. And I paired up with really famous comedians, Louis Anderson, different really famous comedians. And we would teach aspiring young comics this stuff. And so comics that weren't coming to it, that, you know, had kind of a darker side, were just coming up with this, this guy must be a scam kind of thing. And one of them wrote a blog and attacked me. And I had just said that morning to Louis Anderson that I want to get over what people think about me. And right after I said it, this dude writes a blog and it goes viral among the comedians. And my peers are sharing this thing. Like Kyle went crazy. He's gone off the deep end. He's nuts. And so it was an amazing moment because I said, I want to get over what they think about me. And the universe put me in a situation where I have to face it. There's no better way to get over something than to face it. You know, it's, you don't just get over something by being motivated to overcome it and prove it to everybody. Because even when you change your circumstances to how you want them, you're still a slave to your circumstances. You just got them how you want them. You get what I'm saying? Of course. And so... When this comic wrote this blog and the other comics uh, made it viral, I suddenly had to completely actually let go of what they thought about me. So I stayed in a hotel for six days. And for the first four days, I noticed that my mind was coming up with all these achievement-based solutions that I was going to prove them wrong with another number one Comedy Central special. I'll prove them wrong with this. But I also noticed on day four (laughs) that I'd been sitting in a hotel totally safe and saving my life every second. Do you get what I mean? I'm sitting on a bed, fine. And in my mind, I'm like, I'll prove this. And oh yeah, well, F you too. You know, and I'm just like looking, wait, I've been sitting safe in a bed and my mind is coming up with all these solutions, right? And I realized I'm living in fight or flight when there's actually no danger. Mm-hmm. And I saw that my mind was coming up with this and this and this. And then I noticed that I'm the one looking at my mind, right? Mm-hmm. And I see that my mind has got all these solutions and I'm fine and my mind is chaotic. And this is the first moment that I had this Eckhart Tolle-esque breakaway. I just wrote down Eckhart Tolle. That's really yeah. funny. Right? So, <laughs> and, and so life, life was this revelation that, I'm not doing any, I'm not, who's the one that's motivated? What is he scared of? There's nothing wrong. And I saw my mind, and then I realized this thing over here is not me. I'm the one seeing it. And everything broke off. 
all of my past broke off, all of my problems broke off, all of my accomplishments broke up, and I ended up just being a dude sitting on a bed. And I felt freer than I'd ever felt in my entire life. And I sat on the bed on day five and time was different because this was the first day that I'm not in the future about what do I do and I'll prove this. I just was really in love with just staring at the wall. And it was like the sun just went up and down because I was in bliss now and I wasn't in the future about what I'm going to do to prove. And on day six, I, I fly home and I try to get my DVD player to play a movie and it wouldn't play. And I try to get to play a second movie and it wouldn't play. I try six movies. Finally, the movie Adaptation plays. And weirdly, Adaptation uh, was a movie I had seen in the theaters when it came out, and I hated it. But this time, I watched it with different eyes. And there's a scene where Nicolas Cage says to his brother, he goes, in high school, there's this girl that you really loved, and she was talking crap about you, and you didn't care. Why is that? And the brother said, because whatever she says about me, she can't take away from me how much I love her. And then he said, you are what you love, not what loves you. And everything. And I, I cried so much because I realized most of us move as if we are what loves us. So we have to get as many followers. We have to get as many people's opinions changed because our identity is who I am is what you think of me. But what if what I actually am is what I think of what you think of me? What if what I am is actually this totally free being and I've been conditioned to falsely believe that I am your opinion and I am what you say and I am how much money I have and I am my parents' approval and I really started moving and going, wait a minute, I, if I just keep being in motivation and drive from this fear-based place that needs lack to overcome, then I'm actually not using the highest version of myself. I'm using a scared me that's overcoming stuff that's actually enslaved to what I achieve, right? So life moved then from, this is where it gets crazy, life moved out of motivation and into letting go of everything in my life that feels heavy. Everything in my life that doesn't align with the highest version of myself. So to give you an example, and I'm not saying this is the diet anyone should go on, but I needed to do this to undo some conditioning. First, I tried going, I wanted to go 90 days raw vegan, okay? And the, the reason that this was so powerful was because when I was a kid, I got a lot of love when I went to restaurants. I got a lot of attention for it, right? And so if I'm going raw vegan, I suddenly have to eat in a way that is not me going to my vices, right? And also I'm going to make my health go up, right? So 30 days go by while I'm eating raw vegan. And on day 30, a guy walks by me with a hot dog and all I smelled was chemicals and metal. And this was the first moment that I realized I changed my taste buds in 30 days. And this implied like, what else is heavy in my life? Because all of a sudden, food that I craved a lot 30 days ago sounds disgusting now, like a pizza and a burrito just sounds like gross, right? So then I was like, what else is heavy? So I started going, okay, what about Facebook? What if I have no Facebook for a while? And then I was like, what if I stop dating for a while? And I started noticing this freedom in me as I let go of things in my life that you think you need to have in order to stay connected to this kind of society. And I felt this kind of ascension type feeling where I started feeling like the combination of these things made me like at one point, I was being offered amazing opportunities in the dating world. And I was like, no. And then I realized I'm a guy who can say no to that. So I started feeling freer and freer. And then on day 45, it dawned on me that comedy, my dream career, is starting to feel heavy to me. Like I don't feel like doing stand-up anymore. And so I had a gig scheduled the next week. And this was a really weird moment in my life because we were, we were filming a little thing and I looked into the camera and I said, I'm done doing comedy clubs on the road. This was my letting go of whatever is feeling heavy. And what I learned in this time, I was working with my friend Diego who was making similar leaps and filming this, was the revelation was, and he said the sentence, but when you let go of something, the only reason you're stressed is your mind can only measure what you will lose and it can't see what you'll gain. Mm. Really think 
Really think about that. I'm scared to let go of this relationship. You're sad because you can see the loss of that person versus the gain of 8 billion people if you're bisexual and willing to date everybody. But you're, you're, you're going, okay, there's this. So everything, like you're in a mediocre job and your mind's like, yeah, I can see I make the money though. Yeah, but you don't see what you're making room for when you let go. So I had to move as if this teaching is the truth. So I let go of comedy clubs. And this is where it got really weird. Right after I said that, three auditions for different movies showed up in my phone right after I said that. Now, I'm not making a specific claim or anything. I could have been a coincidence, but I hadn't had auditions in that point in two months. And right when I said I'm done, I felt this weightlessness and all of a sudden auditions showed up. But the really trippy thing was the next week. The next week when I would have been in a comedy club, Instead, I came up with this moment where my body said, what if you combine comedy and transformation? And I I remember my ego, my ego was getting quieter, by the way, and my soul was getting louder. And my ego said, yeah, but no one's ever done it this way. And my soul went, right, no one's ever done it this way. Like what would happen if you combine comedy and transformation? You might have your own field the way you're thinking of doing it. So this moment came in where I was like, well, I've performed for a ton of colleges as a stand-up comic. What if I did their lecture circuits and performed as a lecture speaker where I combined comedy and transformation? And instead of just being another 60-year-old that's telling a story of when they stopped doing drugs, I'm, I'm like telling, you know, comedically what's coming through me. So I had my friend film me and we filmed me doing like 500 videos for the bookers of colleges by name. So I'm literally making a video like, hey, this is for Diane Johnson at North Idaho University. This is Kyle Cease. You probably remember me. And at the time, we had the, the teen movies and Comedy Central, they were excited I was saying their name. So they were likely to watch the video. Now, all my comedy friends at this point were like, what the hell are you doing? You could be headlining a club for three to five grand for a whole week there right now. And I'm like, I know, but something in me is saying bigger. So then a hundred or so of the colleges said yes at a rate that was three times what my comedy club rate was. So it was almost like letting go of a few thousand and like almost like a million coming in on the other end. And you start going like, instead of me trying to format and myself to fitting what the world needs, I'm just being me, staying with me. And I feel like I'm on an elevator that's leaving the floor of the world that is achieving. And it's like the world's mirroring my own inner elevator as I'm letting go of these things. Is this making sense so far? Yeah, it's, it's it's making perfect sense. There's an interesting mix here for me between sort of we're going to get into Tony Robbins next, but there's a, there's an interesting twist here from, you know, sort of this Wayne Dyer, you know, meets Eckhart Tolle, which now I hope that you know, the reference uh, meets uh, Esther Hicks. Are you familiar with? Okay. So there's, there's a very Esther Hicksy vibe in your life at this stage. At this stage. Yes. And, and what's weird is I had, I had known who they were and stuff, but, this is really me learning life through myself versus through teachings externally, right? Like I I believe there's a level where we can all get content and it's here to support us and get us going. But there's one level where every human being, I believe, has this incredible, unique unfolding that's trying to happen where it's this incredible expression of source coming through you. And we're so caught in trying to be like what a teaching said that, that we're actually still in our head and that teaching's even blocking what's coming through. You know, I tell you, I tell you something interesting. I just started uh, taking TM. Have you ever done a TM, Transcendental Meditation course? Well, I meditate usually around two hours a day, uh, but I haven't taken TM specifically, but I would imagine there's similarities. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just needed direction because I, you know, I, I would just sit there and my mind would just would race and I just needed some direction. So I just started taking it. And sort of what you're describing with this, the surface level issues that are coming up, when you're doing things like meditation or this introspective work that you're describing, 
you really do drop beneath it and you can see the madness happening, you know, on top of you. What do you recommend for somebody that is identifying with a lot of things that you're saying, you know, uh, I've, I've done four date with destinies and probably five UPWs, maybe more. Um, my, as a side note, my, uh, my first, uh, uh, UPW was in 1984 wow. and, uh, Tony Robbins was in the back of the room with his then wife, Becky, um, with a card table. And you paid $99 and he was there. You wrote a check out. Um, he was taking the checks. Um, you paid $99 for Friday night for the fire walk for three hours. And if you wanted to come for the rest of the weekend, um, you gave him another check when you left for one ninety nine. That's how long ago I did my first wow. Tony Robbins event. Like and it's you, checks too. Like it's like it was, so <laughs> Like just yeah. everything about it. Yeah. Then he calls in with a rotary phone and sees if the check's good. It was it was crazy. But one of the things that I learned in with regard to what you're talking about there is our need to remain consistent with our identity is one of the strongest forces in the human condition. And for people that you know are listening to this now and they're I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, you know, I'm a comedian. But they recognize that there's something deep inside of them that their that their soul is screaming for. But they're saying, "Gotta pay the bills. I got this degree. I have student yeah. loan debt. You know, all of the you know the should should I, shoulds." I have a thought on that right away. What's amazing about that? The amount of times someone said, "Like I'd love to just live in the moment, Kyle, but I have to pay bills." That sentence alone implies that money in their life is not a part of God. Right, that their ego makes money, but their soul does everything else. Meanwhile, the truth is your soul completely contains everything there. It contains way more money. And and everything, everything in our life that there are areas of our life that we have down that we just surrender. And there are areas of our life that we always struggle in. And the areas of our life that we struggle in are the parts of our life that we think is an egoic job to overcome and not something that you surrender to. Because every time we say, what, here's even something else. When people say the sentence, what do I do? That, like with everything, you're meditating. Okay, what do I do when I met? What do I do now that I hear, like that people might hear this podcast. What do I do with this? That sentence implies that you are what you do, right? Mm-hmm. And in, in other words, like I need to know what to do. Because I don't just trust that if I surrender that anything will be done. Meanwhile, so much more is done when you get out of the way with your egoic need to do. Does this make sense so far? Yeah, it makes so it makes so much sense and equally is so freaking difficult to do because we feel right. like we have to wrestle that gorilla goal to the right. ground and that we are 100% in control of wrestling that to the ground and if we don't it's not going to happen. The reason is in my eyes from working with thousands and thousands of people now The reason is that we have to wrestle it to the ground is because we're scared of feeling a feeling that we felt in our childhood. Mm. What I'm discovering is like every person I work with, you can watch on my YouTube, a whole feed of me doing one-on-ones with people. And almost every human being, they have to do something. If they're in the action, like I have to make money. It's not about money. It's about like when they were a kid, their parents said, you're nothing unless you make money or something like that. So they have a childhood fear of being unworthy to their mom, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And if they don't see that that's actually the core problem, every moment of their life is spent achieving or, or avoiding this thing, achieving in order to avoid this thing from coming up. So for instance, I'll tell you, I had a friend right when COVID started, who worked a lot and suddenly couldn't work as much. And he has a story and I, and I just talked to him for five minutes and I go, okay, are you going to go broke? And he goes, no, but I, I can't work. And I said, what does that mean in your childhood? And he said that it means to my dad that I'm unworthy unless I'm working. And I said, so I want you to say this. And I had him take a deep breath and say to the inner child in his body, you are allowed to be unworthy in my body. I want you to be okay with feeling unworthy. See, our problem is that there's a feeling that we have in our body that we judge and almost every action we take is actually our way of avoiding that feeling. Mm 
right? So if you watch me do one-on-ones, I can show it with everyone. Almost every what do I do implies if I don't do the right thing, it'll my parents will divorce again. If I don't do the right thing, I'll be abandoned again. If I don't do it the right way, um, I won't be loved. And if you can become the space that says, you're allowed to be unloved in my body, then you slowly move into a connection and become the parent of that inner child, right? And the problem is we move in patterns based on our childhood. So if you and I went to another planet right now and we were each raised by two 20-foot tall aliens who didn't speak English for 20 years and one, one alien comes home drunk and is screaming all the time, so you learn I better be quiet or that one hits me. And then the other one, let's say, really likes it, I don't know, when you tap dance. So you start tap dancing all the time and the female alien is showing her alien friends. You start spending 20 years learning its life to be quiet, don't speak out or you'll get hit, and tap dance and everyone will love you. And then if we left the alien parent world and and just met with other aliens, we're sitting here being quiet and we're tap dancing and, and we're becoming these patterns that aren't what we are. So many people, I believe, who are achieving greatness as a have to, not... Because I believe you'll actually achieve greater when you're connected to source fully and okay with the emotions you're scared of feeling, right? So many people are trying to achieve, but you can actually feel, if I don't, I won't be loved by my dad. If I don't, you know, uh, whatever chaotic, traumatic moment from my childhood that happened will happen again. So... So that what do I do is usually an implication of uh, I better do something because I'm scared to feel trauma that I felt when I was a kid. And basically, when you feel trauma as a child, that child suddenly goes, we never want to feel this again. So it takes over and it's almost as if a five-year-old version of you is, is raising and taking over for a 40-year-old version of you. The next question I was going to ask you, you just answered, and I'll explain it to you. I think, I think you're going to like this. When I listen to a comic, a Joe Rogan or whatever, I am giving them permission to hijack my brain and take it, take it for a ride. I, I don't even, I'm not even thinking when you get somebody who's really, really good, they just take you and you're lost because they've hijacked your brain. My question I was going to ask you is, how do you think you've gotten to over 60 million views on YouTube? And I I think I can answer that. Your skill set from being a comedian, or maybe it's just who you are, I don't know, and your ability to take this transformational work and match it hijacks my brain in the same way that that a comic does, where like I am like you're literally in my brain and I'm processing what you're saying. And it's making complete perfect sense, which I think is such a beautiful gift. So I just wanted to, I wanted to acknowledge you for that because it's you're you're really good at what you do. Well, thank well, and I'll well, I'll tell you this too. Here's my perspective of what it is, but I really appreciate what you're saying. I think that I've lost, and definitely not all of it, but some of the conditioning that thinks that my my worth is based on how many views, how many numbers, how many sales, what people think. And I actually am asking myself what my own inner guidance wants to say. And it actually isn't invested in, will this get likes or not? It's just able to access a truth inside because that that's what I'm connected to. And if you think of it this way, like an apple tree, its job is just to make apples. It's never thinking, how many apples will I sell though? What if people don't like apples? Maybe I'm more of a pear tree. It doesn't sabotage what it is, right? It just makes it. Now, if an apple tree stopped making apples, it would stop doing what it's here to do. So it would have to get sick and it would have to become addicted to something. There'd be Netflix for apple trees because they're not making apples and it would be doing everything it can to do that. So I started learning that my job is just to create what's coming through and release the attachment to what people do with it, release the attachment to if they like it, release attachment to if they get it. 
And if I'm enslaved to those things, then I'm not able to deliver it as well. And the only reason I would want to be enslaved to something is because I want to get something from the audience. Meaning like, I want to do it the right way so I can sell something. I want to do it the right way so they, whatever, keep following me. But I would only need to do that if I was under the illusion that I'm not already love as is. I would only... So good. So good. Yeah. Do, you get, do you get any triggers, fears, anxieties come up when you're like, you got a new book, you got a new product and you're trying to sell it? Um, or, you know, look, you're in business to make money, right? We all are. At the end of the day, you want to do things that are creatively inspiring for you, but, you know, you need to make money as well. So does any of that stuff come up for you where I got to sell this book, I got to sell this thing where you go into that sort of apple tree example in in reverse that you just gave? You know, what's weird is actually, (laughs) I would say the opposite happens. There's a me that goes, that's many times had an opportunity for big things. And I, this is literally how I decide everything. First of all, I ask my, I ask my body, does it feel light and expansive or does it feel heavy? And I mean, within one second, right? Wow. That's good. So if it feels heavy, then there's a lot of things in our life. There's a lot of people we work with, friends we keep in our life, things in our garage that just, there's no reason to keep it. It feels heavy. It's like a vibrational dip. Like, like I have to market this way. There's no me that thinks I have to market a certain way, right? Because I know that everything's taken care of and, and in like in source. And if I'm like, I have to market this way and I have to have this strategy and you, and if I wake up and I'm about to work and I'm like, Oh, I have to, that's a sign already that I'm ignoring source and I'm moving to a level of have to, and I would only have to, because I'm trying to get something from the external because I don't get that I'm complete as, but if I move as if I'm complete as is and do what expands my soul then weirdly higher channels come in better frequency things like much bigger things come in so here's a rule i have if i have to justify keeping something in my life i that means i don't want it meaning like check this out i have a 3 year old daughter there's never been a time where i've said well you know she gets good medical insurance so i guess i'll keep her as my daughter you know, or, you know, at least she was uh, good to me that day. She, she can say, no, I love my daughter. I would never explain to anyone why I'm going to be her dad. What I do for a living, I don't explain to anyone. But we all know what it's like to be at a job you hate and tell yourself, I will get a promotion later. Or we know what it's like to, to keep a friend in your life that sucks, but actually one time say out loud, they did give me a nice dinner that time. Like if I'm back, if I'm, that's your mind making sense out of why you're ignoring your body. God, this is so good. So good. You just gave me, I just got a hit from you on something. So about a year ago, as a bucket list dream, I did four months of living in Florence, Italy. And I loved it. It was magic. And I moved from there to Hermosa Beach, California, where I live now. And it's beautiful, sunny, surfing, 70 degrees all year long. Everything, everything that I came here for is here. But there has been a piece of me that has wanted to go back to living in Florence and to get a villa in Tuscany. And I'm beginning to make the decision uh, to do that. or I'm in the process of making the decision to do that. But I find myself justifying to people when I'm having this conversation why I'm going to be moving back to Italy. And when I use your little litmus test that you gave me, is it light or expansive or heavy? When I think about living in Italy, it's light and expansive. I feel like you know Stanley Tucci walking around Florence eating uh, eating pasta and drinking wine, and it's 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 light and airy. And when I think of not doing that, it feels heavy, and it feels like I'm missing out. It feels like I'll have regret. So. That little one sentence thing is interesting because when you find yourself, and I also have a daughter, I have a six-year-old, and I I would never justify any reason why. It makes no sense. It's just because 
she's I love her and she's my like I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even have the conversation. How how insulting would it be for her if it was like, well, you were nice that one time, so I guess I love <laughs> you. You know, like it makes no sense. So so what so what is it about the justification that we feel that we need to justify? What like what like where's that coming from? I'll tell you. So here's how I see it. Imagine that there's this calling that shows up on one side. Now the calling is a quieter voice, right? It's a, what if we, what if we, in fact, usually I use in my example of this, what if we move to Italy, just so you know. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, you could, you could watch old clips of me and you'll hear me say in every example, what if we move to Italy, wow. which is a sign for you right there. But like, yeah, there's always this higher voice and the voice is kind of, basically, here's what it is. The voice is, uh, I believe that voice is actually you. I believe that the yabat is your past, which doesn't exist, right? But it's a pattern that you've created that that comes up with, this is what I've become and this is how I get love and make money. So imagine there's a higher you that just has a thing and it shows up with something and it can't tell you why because you've never done it. it. It can't tell you any specifics because you've never done it. It just says, do this. I'm batting a thousand at this voice being 100% right every time. And then on the other side, you have a yeah, but, and this yeah, but is fear, right? It's the old story that's scared to die, right? And if you step into the reason, uh, the calling why you should, the fear always goes away. Because you're not scared of this, you're scared to choose the higher you, and the old you that no longer serves you is about to die. So it gets louder with a yeah, but. But you're not this. But if you listen to the fear, the opportunity goes away and you become more concrete in your past story and that you are this linear timeline that just makes fear that that comes up with excuses. And you see people, there's the people that move based on the feeling and then there's the people that move based on safety. And, and, And safety is literally based on evidence of the past and it's an arbitrary BS thing. And it comes up with stupid reasons why you shouldn't too. So here's an example. What if we left this company right now? Yeah, but if we do, we can't go to the Cheesecake Factory party next Thursday. (laughs) And the first voice can't tell you this because it wants you to move based on faith and the feeling. And it'll give you the example on the other side. And it goes, dude, if you learn to listen to me, you could own all the Cheesecake Factories in a month if you want. And then the second voice is like, yeah, but they have those Thai lettuce wraps. And then I started realizing... (laughs) If you... If you... And this is why it's like, if you've ever stayed in a relationship too long with someone you know you shouldn't be with because you know that eventually the two of you are going to go camping, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's times where it's like, man, I really hate this person, but we already bought the tent and got a reservation for this campsite in two months. So I guess I'll hate them for two months and then hate them in the woods. Like we... We are missing out on this amazing new life because we're, we're holding on to the yeah, but. And that moment when you have a calling, when you say yes to it, it actually causes the small story to dissolve because you're now no longer listening to that yeah, but so it no longer serves you. So you end up ascending. I have so many stories in my life of this happening. I, I can tell you one right out the, right out the gate. We were doing a lot of 1,400 seat. Th- we were doing this theater called the Alex Theater. I was doing my event, my we, me, and my team, and I, and I did these two day great events. And then I had this calling in my body that just said, "What if we did the Dolby Theater?" Now the Dolby Theater is where they do the Oscars. It's 3,400 seats. Okay. The idea was, what if we rent this theater, 3,400 seats, and it's a, it happened to be a couple days right before. I was about to do a 1400 seat Alex, but it just showed up in my body, do the, do the Dolby theater. So it's exciting. And then the, yeah, but is it's going to be crazy expensive. Can you even fill 3,400 seats? Right. Yep. But it's exciting. Yeah. But it's going to be a six figure deposit. Right. And can you fill 3,400 seats? You could totally fail. Yeah. But it feels good. So I called them and they gave me a price and it was nuts. It was like a ton of money and it was like this big fear, but I still said, let's do it. And I want you to just feel what you felt when I said, let's do it. Yeah, I felt it right here. How you moved right when I said, let's do it. 
You know when everyone says the scariest moment of skydiving is when they're looking over the side of the plane? Yeah. But that move that moment's when you're safe. Right? They're always like, whenever I jump <laughs> off and I'm curling through the air at 10,000 miles an hour, I'll be fine. But I'm scared of the moment when I'm looking off the plane. If you're not scared to skydive, you're scared to choose it. Because it's death to the story that says I never skydive. Oh, right? that is so good. Right? So that's what's trying to stay alive. That's what the fear is. So I told the Dolby Theater, yes, we'll do it. We gave them a crazy deposit. And once I said yes, I suddenly moved to a person that it's normal to do a 3,400 seat theater. Do you get what I'm saying? I moved to this energy. So that, that check this out. I was so excited and so confident. This is a totally true story. We have this whole experience on tape. I'm doing an event uh, at the Alex Theater two days later. And in my body... I'm all ready to get to tell them about the Dolby Theater. So it's not a moment that I was deciding to pitch or anything. I just passionately made a lesson out of that leap. While I'm in the passionate leap and telling them, or the excitement, I'm so excited about the Dolby Theater. I just happen to be telling the audience about it. And I'm in the middle of a riff and I see a few people get up and start walking to the back of the room. And I go, I go, where are they going? And someone in the back of the room yelled, they want to be the first people to get tickets to the Dolby Theater. And then I didn't even do anything. Everyone in the room just got up while I'm on stage to go buy tickets to the Dolby. At the moment, because people were in and out of the room, there were 1,250 people in the room that bought tickets to the Dolby. We sold right there uh, 1,800 tickets to the Dolby, to 1,250 people. We had like whatever that is, 150% conversion rate. And no one of my team were even ready in the back of the room to sell it because there was no pitch. There was no me strategizing, how do I sell this? My passion naturally made all the money from the deposit come back two days later. And then it was very easy because all we had to do, we had like six months still to sell only 1,200 or whatever, 1,400 tickets left, right? Or 1,600. So we had already sold more than half because of the passionate frequency I was in, right? The frequency I was in normalized that I'm someone that does a 3,400 seat theater. And this is why when we're scared to let go of something heavy, you're scared to let go of that job you don't like. You don't get that you're making a frequency room for a higher thing. There is so much magic. If you feel without knowing the specifics of going to Italy, you feel that there's something in it. I can tell you right now, it's right. And there's all these amazing things over there. You don't know why. But the biggest thing is you said yes to the truer you. And the, the fear-based you dissolves because you're not listening to the fear. You're listening to the calling. And then you start making space. What you can't see in Italy is you've now started to become an even better sensor of the, the, the callings. And the callings come through clearer and clearer. And the yeah buts get quieter and quieter. And you start following these leap feelings. And that's suddenly how you kind of make quantum shifts and you don't stay on one level and motivate yourself at the story of the smallness that achieves a bunch. You start moving to a person where it's always normal for me to do a 3,400 seat theater. It's always normal for me to follow my calling to move to Italy. And here's the funniest part. Your yeah, but is actually also the reason you have to. For instance, man, I'd love to, I'd love to go follow my highest, but I have a three-year-old daughter. Well, isn't she the reason I have to follow my highest to show her that she can? Like, should I stay small in front of her so I have fake security and absolutely no passion? Like, so, so good. This is so good. You know, I've done two hundred of these, and this is this is in the this is in the top two or three. You're really good at what you do. Oh, thank you. Um, all right. So um, I want to be respectful of your time. Let's do a quick speed round if you got five minutes for me. Sure. Totally. What do your friends say is one of your superpowers? <laughs> Surrender. Do you collect anything or have you ever collected anything? I, I collected baseball cards from 1989 to 1981 when I was a kid. And it turns out because I can't sell them anywhere, that's when everyone collected baseball cards. <laughs> <laughs> what do people never ask you? but you wish they did. Mm. What am I? Meaning them. 
what am I? They always say, what do I do? If you switch, what do I do to what am I? You're going to find so much more. What book have you reread the most? Have I reread? Well, let me say, if it's reread, I would say uh, TV Guide or Encyclopedia Brown. But if I were to say... (laughs) If I were to say that my favorite book right now by far is Letting Go by David Hawkins. And I think I'll probably reread that five or six times because it, it's incredible. Okay. All right. What's on your nightstand? My phone charger and a lamp. Okay. <laughs> we're gonna, that's perfect. Um, literally nothing. I went through a bunch of joke things. I'm like, condoms. Well, well by the way, yeah. the last one I did caught me off guard. It was with a, a, a very buttoned up CEO and she looked right square in the camera and she said, uh, my vibrator. Oh, I yeah. literally turned purple. What if I said, <laughs> <laughs> all right, last question. Um, what one question would you like to ask me? How do you feel right now? Light and airy. I feel yeah. really good. Light and airy. I feel like I. Uh, I, I feel like I lost. Uh, I, lo- I lost some weights. Some uh, some mental weight with this because I'm as as you're describing it. The heavy things are making themselves known and uh, giving myself the freedom to uh, let those anchors go. Feel really really good. So uh, yeah, this was. Yeah. This was really, really good for me. Listen, me uh, included in uh, in this question, if we want to uh, take a course with you or if we want to you know, go deeper into this work, where do yeah. we go and what's available to us? I'll tell you the, the coolest thing that I'm doing right now that I, I'll say is my favorite thing because I've made... I believe in making this available to the masses. So like I have like stuff that almost costs nothing, but is like the most content ever. We have a thing called the absolutely everything pass. And it's a combination, first of all, of a ton of my past events and online courses, whether it's for business, you know, bringing major conscious principles into business, different things like that. We have this thing called the Entrepreneurial Revolution in there. The Dolby Theater entire event is there. All this stuff. And I do almost daily, every day, every all week, like a one-hour call on Sunday where we discuss oneness. On Monday nights, we do a thing called It's Totally Possible, where literally what you do is we have people come on the screen and we riff back and forth all the things that are possible. We, we do this all day regular in the negative. That's what worrying is. We come up with, it's totally possible everything's going to fall apart. It's totally possible they'll talk crap about me. But if you're in a place of what's possible for 2021, it's totally possible people are freeing themselves in ways we don't know, whatever. These people do this, and it's about the vibration we're creating when we do it. We do that Monday night and Tuesday night. And on Mondays, we're recording them and we're creating a 24-hour stream that we're about to launch of just people listing all these possibilities to counterbalance the CNN negative crawl that's going on. Wonderful. And, and Wednesday night, I do a Q&A. And every Wednesday night, you can watch me work with someone and literally shift them live while I'm also talking to everyone on the comments. And then on Thursday morning, I have a, t- a teammate that does breath work. And then it, it's just totally going on its own. And it's $29 a month and you can cancel anytime. And is all of that recorded if you couldn't make the sessions? Yes. 118 of these live calls every Wednesday night for a couple of years. And every Wednesday night, you can see me and I shift these people. And then, yeah, there's the live stuff. It's, it's, it's hundreds and hundreds of hours of insane content it's also a community. There's like a community of people that are supporting each other and they Zoom each other and do the exercises together. There are so many stories of these little one-inch shifts. Like imagine if this call caused you to actually move to Italy and then change your frequency, right? Like if you, we have so many stories of people that created these little one-inch shifts. So we're creating higher vibrational realities and I believe that the world mirrors your reality. Like, it's like, this is a dream. And if I get that I'm not entangled into the things that I'm dreaming about, but I'm the one waking up, it changes. So the Absolutely Everything Pass is, is like the greatest content ever that'll shift your heart. It'll help you make money. There's a, you know, I also have a book called The Illusion of Money. I just bought it. It's, it's, it's awesome. 
And there's also a movie documentary we made out of that that's on the uh, page too. Okay, good. So in terms of courses, do you yes. have any specific courses that people can buy in addition to the absolutely everything? Yeah, or totally. Okay. Yes, but they're all included. Here's what's cool. They're all included in there. So, so you get it. So we have people that buy our courses and they're a couple hundred bucks, but I'm like, just join the absolutely everything pass because it's in there. Got it. Right. And the, the real goal is to see how big that community can get. We have thousands and thousands of people in there now. And it's, it's so exciting because I don't believe for me in like the big high price thing where I'm just getting a few of the, you know, millionaire group. I want the world to, to shift. But I promise the content is just as good, if not, you know, it's it's really high, free, good stuff. And uh, so there are courses in there. I recommend if you go in there, do the limit limitation game interactive is an insane course that combines an event that I did with me breaking in and giving you a specific exercise to do. The entrepreneurial revolution is in there, which is a 10-part series for businesses of all these different principles that'll help you let go of things um, so that your business can be on a higher frequency. Because believe it or not, if you run a business and there's one teammate you're not aligned with, right? That's affecting the whole freaking vibration of the thing. That's one wheel is out on the car, right? Or if you're delivering to clients that you don't believe in, or you don't feel aligned with, or you're just like, you're just doing it for the money, that's costing you so much more money, right? Because you're dipping vibrationally to that. Dude, this was um, amazing. You know, I just, I have to say, you are you are truly living your purpose from my perspective. Looking in, your your energy is contagious. Your content is is stellar. Um, I really I, I really feel like I had a a spiritual awakening here. So um, wow. I cannot I cannot thank you enough. Everything you said landed loud and clear, and it was exactly what I personally needed, and I know because I needed it people listening are going to feel the same way. So any final words, suggestions, or an ask for people listening? Well, I'll tell you right now that based on what you said, first of all, let me just reflect. It takes one to know one because you know what I'm, you wouldn't have resonated if you weren't ready for this, if it didn't awaken in your heart. I mean, you know, there's people that hear this and go, that's just crazy talk yeah. because that, that isn't open in them. And and just, I want to reflect to you that it wouldn't make sense to you if you weren't ready to hear this and weren't wanting to hear it, right? If you spot it, you um, got it, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, I would say, yeah, jo join me at kylecease.com, evolvingoutloud.com. Check out the Illusion of Money book. It's really awesome. And it's got great reviews and it, it did really, really, really well. And, um, you know, say hi to us. Like I'm on YouTube, there's a ton, there's hundreds and hundreds of videos. You know what you might like, because there's a, a theme that I've been seeing with men lately, mm. is a major underlying shame inside of men, just based on how we were raised, based on society. And there's a video that we just released where I'm working with a guy named Michael, who just came on my call and we just started breaking down some stuff. And we just found this layer of shame. And you can watch him cry out his entire history on this call. It's like an hour long and, and find all this freedom on the other side. So I think the, the video is called like every man must see this. Okay. And it's, it's, it's called and the thumbnail says releasing shame, anger, guilt, but there's, there's, there literally are like 500 videos on YouTube that you can just see for free and then join us on the absolutely everything pass. I'm on my way to, I'm on my way to buy absolutely everything right now. Oh, I can't wait to have you, man. Love to come join us uh, Sunday. We do. I do a live talk. So you check that out. Will do. Thanks again, Kyle. Dude, good to see you, brother. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.